Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. This is an election year. Will Donald Trump be re-elected? What is going on with the Democrats? And has America gone even more crazy? We'll be discussing all of these things and more, more than once a week, because we don't feel you have enough Americano in your life. And I have a special offer for Americano listeners. If you want to subscribe to the Spectator's US edition, which is brilliant, by the way, I edit it, you can go to www.spectator.us forward slash subscribe and take advantage of our special Americano offer. If you insert the code Americano in capital letters like Donald Trump on Twitter, you will get 5% off. Please do so. I'm joined today by John Rick MacArthur, who is president of Harper's Magazine. And we're going to be talking about the news that Bernie Sanders has suspended his campaign. But Rick, first, before we get started on Bernie Sanders, I want to just say, I know you're in New York at the moment. How are things? Is it, I mean, the news looks terrible. Presumably you're locked inside and you, you can't, you can see as much as we can. Well, I go out on the street more than I'm supposed to, <laughs> more than my family wants me to. And I, and I am able to watch a little bit of city life. And in my tranquil neighborhood, the Upper West Side, it, it doesn't feel quite so awful as, as you might imagine because we have Central Park right nearby and the streets are empty mostly of traffic so that you can walk down the middle of a big avenue and, and not even get hit by a, you don't get hit by anybody but a desperate bicycle messenger. So I don't mean to make light of it, but I just want you to know that it's not as if we're in a complete, it's not like Paris or London, yeah. where a cop might stop you when you when you walk out on the street and ask you what you're doing or ask you to, to justify your being outside. It's mostly, it's voluntary here, and people are respecting it. The only thing they've done to really, to you might consider uh, authoritarian, is they've closed the playgrounds, and they've actually removed the basketball hoops from certain courts because they don't want people playing basketball together. But apart from that, and people wearing masks more than they were wearing before, it seems eerily quiet, but not desperate. And the news just recently has been good, quote unquote, in that the self-confinement seems to be working. In, in other words, the case of new, the, the number of new infections is flattening or dropping. So Andrew Cuomo, the governor, is able to now compete directly with Trump. And that's what we should be watching is the competition between Andrew Cuomo and Donald Trump, both Queens-born, Queens-raised citizens of New York, and now in an, a very intense and direct political rivalry to see who comes out looking more competent and more reassuring. Well, let's talk about another man who was born in New York, Bernie Sanders, who was born in Brooklyn. And we have the news today that he suspended his campaign. And before we started recording, you said you felt it was inevitable with an air of sadness. And I think you're probably right. It did seem inevitable pretty much from South Carolina or certainly from Super Tuesday onwards. Before South Carolina, Bernie seemed to be the overwhelming favourite to win the nomination. And then suddenly Biden's campaign exploded back into life with his victory in South Carolina. And from then on... Bernie kind of collapsed. Is that a fair summary of what happened? 
Yes, except for the notion of Biden himself or his campaign exploding into life. What exploded into life was the Democratic machine, which was panicked by Sanders winning the Nevada caucuses, which Nevada being a mach- generally a machine state. It's a, it's a state where the, the, the Democratic Party leadership and the unions really run the show and they tell the rank and file what to do. And Hillary Clinton won the Nevada caucuses against Sanders. So winning in a big field in Nevada set the machine into, into motion. And Jim Clyburn, the, the dean of the South Carolina delegation in, in the House and a major and a leader in the Democratic caucus in Congress, a black uh, congressman, endorsed Biden. And when he endorsed Biden, he almost guaranteed that a huge proportion of blacks who might have been inclined to vote for Sanders or neutral voted for Biden because they do what they're told to some extent. They do what the boss tells them to do. That's the kind of state it is. It's like Illinois to some extent. Clyburn is just a run-of-the-mill hack. I mean, he, he does what the party leadership wants, and he got the ball rolling for Biden again. He won by a big number which helped revive the campaign. And then on Super Tuesday, just before Super Tuesday, with Soviet-style precision, Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg dropped out of the race, endorsed Biden. Elizabeth Warren stayed in, which I think uh, was her role all along, which was to blunt Sanders. Sanders was not able to benefit at all from competitors dropping out. They all, in effect, were helping Biden either overtly or covertly. So he wins most of the Super Tuesday primaries with the support and the real muscle of the democratic machine, the democratic organization. People do not, they, they underestimate the power of party politics because Trump was able to overturn the Republican leadership last time and win anyway. Sanders was on the verge of doing the same thing in 2016 and they stopped him and they've stopped him again. So it's a terrible irony because everything that's happening now with the national crisis, the COVID-19 crisis, argues in favor of Sanders' basic platform, Medicare for all, an NHS-style healthcare system, at least, or Canadian-style healthcare system. But none of it works against the Democratic machine, which would prefer to lose with Biden to Trump than win with Sanders. It's interesting you say that. But I mean, what a lot of Republicans are saying is that Bernie Sanders has already won in that he has dragged, you often hear this line, he's dragged the party to the left. Biden's policy platform, certainly it may not be as sincere as Sanders, but certainly it it looks quite similar on key issues. On Medicare for all, they, they both have the same end goal, which is Medicare for all. Biden takes a more gradualist approach on the Green New Deal, on raising taxes, on immigration reform, they have quite similar policy platforms. And Biden really had to do that in order to beat Bernie, did he not? Not at all. The reason he beat Bernie was because he opposed Bernie on all these things. The very things that Biden has, Biden is the, he's the quintessential hack. He's the quintessential compromised Democrat. He supported everything that the progressive reform people in in the Democratic Party opposed always very close to the credit card industry, which is his base in uh, Delaware, where they're based. 
sticking it to lower middle class people with the bankruptcy bill that he sponsored with NAFTA, with the trade deals. He voted for the invasion of Iraq, which, of course, hurt the working class more than it, than it hurt the, the upper class. And his opposition, and always calling for cuts in Social Security, and his opposition to Medicare for All is what made him, endeared him to the John Podesta, Rahm Emanuel, Obama-Clinton wing of the party. So he's given nothing. He's What he's done is he's, he's given lip service to what Sanders is talking about, but what he's really proven is his fealty, his loyalty to the machine, which doesn't want any of these reforms. Well, that may be the case, but it seems to me I, I, I went to New Hampshire in 2016 and I went in 2020 and the Sanders campaign was considerably less energised in 2020 than it was in 2016 there. And I got the feeling that the kind of the economic anger just wasn't there in the same way that it was in 2016. And... Bernie's kind of radical message, well, of course, he still had a big movement behind him. There's no doubt about that. It wasn't quite as incendiary in a a good way as it was in 2016. Well, that's because a lot of that anger went to Trump. They voted for Trump and they got what they they voted for. They got Trump. Remember, there's a lot of overlap in 2016 between the Trump and the uh, Sanders platforms. They're both anti-free trade They're both anti-invasion of foreign countries where we have no business going. They're both anti-establishment. Poll after poll showed overlap, and we know that something between 8 and 10 million former Obama voters voted for Trump in 2016. These are all people who could have voted for Sanders if it had been a Sanders-Trump matchup. So a lot of the anger was soaked up by Trump. And so I think less energy means that Trump soaked up some of that energy. But while I accept everything you say about Biden's past as a, as a credit card lobbyist and so on... And Wall Street uh, stooge. He does, he does still appeal, the polls all suggest, he does still appeal to blue-collar Americans, to kind of Reagan Democrats, I suppose you want to call them that, to people who were probably swinging between Sanders and Trump in 2016. We shall see. Trump is not stupid when he does when he debates. And if he's if he's smart, he will harp on Biden's support, repeated, constant, consistent support for the trade deals, which put all those people out of work in the Midwest. And and some of them are going to say, yeah, this is assuming, of course, that the COVID-19 crisis resolves itself. They'll say, yeah, you know, before the COVID-19 crisis hit, we were doing pretty well. We were certainly doing better than we were doing under Obama. And and he's right. Biden was Obama's flunky. And he supported all these trade deals. He voted for all of them. So I think Trump is in a very, very strong position. And if you watch Trump's camp, I, I went to see him speak live back in uh, November because I really wanted to see him up close. And if you listen to the first half of his speech, his stump speech, which, of course, goes on for an hour. He's like a caudillo, a Latin American caudillo. He, he, he shouts at people for an hour or more. The first half of it or the first third of his speech is very left wing. It's all about pulling people out of poverty, pulling the poor off of food stamps, getting people back to work. He almost sounds like a Roosevelt Democrat until you realize it's Trump and he's he, he means nothing of the kind and he's He's cutting social programs left and right. Now, none of this means 
that Biden can't win. Biden can win if people are angry enough at Trump. But at this point, Trump, in my opinion, has has the stronger message and the stronger record vis-a-vis the working class, if you look at Biden's record. I mean, you can read the piece we published in Harper's Magazine a year ago, which lays it all out. Which is currently available free online. It's, it's astonishing how bad Biden is. He, and it's also astonishing that black people vote for him, given that he, he supported all the worst legislation that put vast numbers of black people in jail, disproportionate to their white drug-using counterparts. He's been terrible for black people, terrible for the working class, but terrific for the people who fund the Democratic campaigns on Wall Street and in, Del- and in Delaware. So I, I think Trump, if he has uses his brains, can make a, a real hash of Biden's populist credentials or fake populist credentials. Well, let, let, let's talk a bit about how the COVID crisis is affecting the race. I mean, it's quite possible that it could be a virtual vote at this stage. That's a possibility at the moment. There's also the fact that Biden himself has become a pretty much a virtual candidate. Now, he's retreated to his house in Delaware and he does these broadcasts from there and they are doddery and slightly embarrassing. And at the same time, we've spoken about this on, in previous podcasts, a couple of podcasts ago, ago, we had Tucker Carlson on who was saying he thinks that there's no way that pretty much, I think he said there's no way that the party will accept Biden in his current mental state and that he will have to be replaced. And Andrew Cuomo, who's looking like this sort of dynamic governor in response to the crisis in New York, will emerge as his replacement. Well, I don't think Cuomo can do it because he didn't run. One of the rules of the game is that you you have to run for president to get the nomination. And he's, he hasn't run. He's also too identified with New York and New York City. I think Unlike Trump, I don't think he'll be able to separate himself from the New York City tag, which doesn't help a candidate nationally. Certainly no mayor from New York City has ever become a president. The, the, the only one that's the exception is Roosevelt, who was governor of New York, but he was the beneficiary of, of the Great Depression and Herbert Hoover's inaction to fight it. I think we're stuck with Biden. I don't think there's any chance of anybody replacing him. And Biden has the support of key factions in the Democratic Party, most importantly, uh, Barack Obama. Now, I think it's more plausible that they try a draft Hillary movement starts. Let's give Hillary a chance. You know, (laughs) let's give her a second chance. Of course, that would be suicidal. But I think that's more plausible than Cuomo replacing Biden. Well, I mean, I think the thinking behind Cuomo is that if this crisis carries on being as bad as it is, then the a successful candidate would have to be someone who can say they had a good, you know, a good crisis, like you talk about having a good war. Cuomo can certainly claim that at the moment. He gets a lot of adulation, I think rather too much adulation for his press conferences. But he does seem to be somebody who is dynamic in a crisis. And it doesn't even matter that, in fact, it almost helps that he's not likable. He seems to exude authority, which is something that Trump doesn't seem to do at the moment. Right. Well, it's not hard to look credible and authoritative and, and strong and articulate compared to Trump. And Cuomo certainly is beating Trump in, in those terms. But uh, Trump himself, unlike Herbert Hoover uh, in the Depression, has become increasingly activist. He has 
finally listen to people or listen to his advisors, and he gets on TV every day and announces things, announces that he's doing things. He did invoke the Defense Procurement Act or whatever the special the special legislation is that allows the president to order certain industries to make certain goods. And he jawboned with the 3M company and has worked out a deal where they're going to produce umpteen million masks in short order. So it makes him look like he's in charge in a Roosevelt-like way and an un-Hoover-like way. And he continues to harp on the fact that he shut down immigration from China or flights from China early on, notwithstanding the fact that hundreds of thousands of people continued to come to the United States from China after the ban was put in effect. He's able to say, I did act in the, in the first instance. And there's nothing in Cuomo's record that shows that he was any more prepared than Trump for the COVID-19 crisis. He's a kind of a centrist Democrat. He doesn't push for big social spending. He's detested by the left wing of the state party. He actually got a primary. Cynthia Nixon, an actress, ran against Cuomo in the primary and didn't do too badly, given the fact that she's just an actress. So he's not, he's, he's no Bernie Sanders. So I don't, I don't think that, I don't think Cuomo makes that much stronger a candidate. He certainly would be a stronger candidate than Biden, but I don't think that the party leadership is going to allow it. I suppose the only thing is he just has more airtime at the moment because Trump in a crisis as president can suck up all the airtime he wants. And so the only person who's really getting a look in on the Democratic side is Cuomo because of the crisis in New York. And and I mean, it's disgusting, but it's true that you know if you can't be in the news, you're going to struggle to have a successful candidacy. You, you could argue also that Cuomo was less prepared than he should have been. I mean, Trump could, right now, they've got a kind of a, a, a non-aggression pact going. But remember, Cuomo comes from Queens and, and, and he's not a rich kid. Trump is a rich kid from Queens. So I think they detest one another. They really detest each other on a visceral level. But right now they've got a. They seem to be cooperating. But when the if if you came to if it came to a campaign, I could easily see Trump saying, "What did you do, Andrew Cuomo, to prepare for an emergency? We have a federal system. The states are supposed to have their own health care provisions, and there's nothing to show that Cuomo was any better prepared for this than any other governor, or than or than Trump." This goes back, by the way, the lack of emergency equipment goes back to 2006. There was an effort back in 2006 to produce a massive stockpile of masks and other uh, emergency gear. And Bush wasn't able to work it out with private industry. Obama didn't work it out with private industry. It just didn't get done. But that's America. You can't, you can't blame that on. We don't have a, a social democracy. You can't blame that on Trump. Well, this this ties into a point that Bernie Sanders would presumably have made, which is that the American state is dysfunctional at the moment, like a lot of states seem to be in response to this crisis. But it's not just about Trump. It's about the system of American governance was not prepared for something that it should perhaps have been prepared for. Absolutely. And Sanders has been harping on this for a long time, saying that the federal government has to be more activist and has to be more like the president needs to behave more like Franklin Roosevelt. We need a Green New Deal. We need uh, 
presumably uh, emergency stockpiling of emergency equipment, like we stockpile weapons in case of war. We have the vast military budget. We're able to fight wars on three fronts, in theory, worldwide, but we're not, we don't have enough masks for uh, emergency rooms. It's, it's, I mean, it's, uh, th these are obvious points that Sanders could have made and would have made in a general election camp campaign against Trump. And he could have said, it's not just Trump, it's the whole system. And that's what he's always been saying. We have to change the system. That would have been a vote getter. It's why he would have beaten Trump in 2016, according to the polls. Don't you think, and you're gonna, you may accuse me of being a, a right-wing hack here, but don't you think that the Green New Deal stuff, the Green New Deal rhetoric, is going to start sounding very, very hollow now? I mean, the, the line that they always say with it is, is climate change is the greatest threat facing humanity. It just doesn't feel true at the moment, and it will not, I imagine, resonate very well with voters. You're right. You're not a right-wing <laughs> You're correct. But it, it, it might ring hollow except for the make-work aspect of it. Clearly, the Green New Deal, the, its, it's greatest benefit to, to the working class would have been make-work. You'd be putting people to work at $15 an hour, doing what they did in 1933, 34, 35, building levees along rivers, building windscreens on farms to fight drought. There was a huge amount of make work created by the New Deal, which kept people alive through the depression. Now we are going into a depression or a major recession, and the Green New Deal would have been great. If you're out of work, it would have been, it would have been terrific. I mean, it's going to be a long time before the jobs come back in the restaurants and the tech business and all, you know, all the, all the flotsam and jetsam of the economy that kept marginal people marginally employed. That's all gone. And the Green New Deal would have provided real work for real wages for unemployed people. And people would have said, who cares what it's for? At least I've got a job. Well, then I suppose the reform movement in America looks to 2024 now. I mean, if... Bernie will be 82 by then and very unlikely to run, I'd have thought. Who would carry on the, the, the Bernie flame? Well, I don't think anybody at this point. I don't see anybody on the horizon. Elizabeth Warren, there's a special place in purgatory for her. I don't know, not hell, not heaven, but purgatory, because she refused now two elections in a row to take a principled position and endorse Sanders when it could have helped him. She thinks she's going to be the obvious choice in 2024, but I don't think she's got a snowball's chance in hell. She proved herself, proved to be an ineffective campaigner. People just don't like her. And she's now mistrusted by a huge number of progressive left-wingers who supported Sanders because they feel betrayed by her. Her non-endorsement, her sitting out of after Super Tuesday, was in effect an endorsement of the status quo, which was... An, an endorsement of Biden. So she didn't make a lot of friends on the left. And I don't see anybody other than her taking up the mantle. And Sanders, you're right, will be too old. I don't think he's going to try it again. Plus, he's been rejected by the establishment twice, effectively. Why would he? I don't, I can't see him doing it again. Could it be the case that the establishment always wins? Because both with Trump and Sanders, you have these sort of revolutions going on within the party. Trump succeeded, Sanders fell short, but certainly made a huge impact on the party. And there's a lot of talk about populism in America. But then after Trump, does Trumpism win? 
it's hard to say. After Sanders, does Sandersism win? You're suggesting not. Perhaps it's just the case that the House always wins. Yeah, well, in our system, the American system, the House almost always wins. And for this, I urge people to read any book by Walter Karp, but most, more particularly Indispensable Enemies, which talks about the power of the parties, the party system in the United States. Also, Richard Hofstadter, The Idea of a Party System, two essential texts for understanding American politics. But the party bosses are more interested in controlling the party, maintaining patronage, maintaining uh, appointment power, maintaining campaign contributions. Internal control of the party is much more important to them than winning elections. If they really wanted to win elections, they would have let Sanders have the uh, nomination in 2016 if they really wanted to beat Trump. Clearly, they prefer Trump to having a real reformer who would upset the patronage fundraising system uh, within the party. There's a, uh, there's a great quote in the Walter Cart book, the boss of the Pennsylvania Republican Party, a guy named Penrose, in the midst of the progressive movement, and this is you know roughly 1890 to 1920, was badgered by many Republicans for not, or criticized for not slating or running progressive candidates for Pennsylvania offices. And they said, you're gonna ruin the party, Penrose. And Penrose said, yes, but I will preside over the ruins. <laughs> so that's, 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 that's the attitude of the machine boss. I'd rather control my piece of the pie, which is the party patronage system, regardless of what's popular, than let a popular uh, voice be elected. What's astonishing about Franklin Roosevelt is that, because he, he, there's nothing about him that suggested uh, a progressive reformer, is that when he got elected, and he was trusted by the party and by the party barons, he mounted such a radical program, absolutely radical program. And I think this is what Sanders was trying to, was trying to do. He's trying to complete the New Deal. He's trying to finish it. A lot of people say the United States, that's what we need, is we need a new New Deal to finish Roosevelt's New Deal. It's not going to happen. Well, I mean, it could be that the crisis is so bad that whoever the president is by November, by January, sorry, he or, well, in fact, he will have to, well, she, if, if Hillary comes back into the mix, yeah. will, will have to come up with a radical government program on the scale of a new deal just to keep the economy in some sort of working order. Yeah, we can hope, I guess, that Biden would become Franklin Roosevelt. But as you've seen Biden campaign and that seems like a very, very long shot. He has difficulty reading the teleprompter. I suppose if the right people got into office with him or the Democrats won a majority in the Senate, it's conceivable, but they would have to get a, a Senate majority in order to make anything uh, substantial happen. I do just want to go back to you on one point because I'm sure what you're saying is right about patronage in the party and, and all that stuff. But I think that I mean, other Democrats I've spoken to seem to be genuinely concerned about a Trump blowout if Sanders won. Do you not think there was some thinking among party head, heads that they just had to stop Sanders because there's no way he could win as a socialist in America? Well, that's what they say. But what they were thinking was he might win. And if he wins, we're finished. We're ruined. And I think that was their greater fear than losing to Trump. Clearly, 
Sanders has a hold on the under 30 crowd. Over and over again, they voted for him because of the free tuition to college and the free health care or Medicare for all. Those people are simply not going to turn out for Biden. They're just not going to turn out in the numbers they would have turned out for for Sanders. They also none of them are going to vote for Trump. I'm not saying that, but I think if you just calculate also, if you look at Sanders appeal to the white working class, the Reagan Democrats in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, remember he beat Clinton in Wisconsin and Michigan in 2016 solely on the trade issue on NAFTA, which is very identified with the Clintons. He had appeal across the board. Black people, I think, would have ended up voting for him because they were not going to vote for Trump. But Biden is going to depress the below under 30 turnout, unquestionably. And without those people voting, I don't think he can win. But I'm I'm not saying that Trump couldn't self-destruct. Trump is perfectly capable of self-destructing. The the COVID-19 crisis could be so long lasting and so damaging to the economy that people will say we have to have a change. Biden could become Roosevelt. All these things could happen. I just don't think they're very likely. But if you look at a state like Michigan, doesn't that just show the weakness of Hillary as a candidate? Because Sanders beat her there, but Biden smashed Sanders there. So, well, but by then the governor, the governor of Michigan endorsed Biden, and by then the momentum was all going Biden's way. He completely reversed it in South Carolina, and then again on Super Tuesday. Remember, Sanders still won California with I don't know how many other people in the race, five or six people in the race, he still was able to win the biggest, most important state in the country. That speaks to some considerable popular appeal across age, race, ethnicity, religion, and Nevada also spoke to a broader appeal. Now, I don't think Bernie Sanders is a natural politician. I think he's swifter on his feet than Biden, But that's, you know, anybody's swifter than Biden. But Sanders did make some terrible mistakes. Did you see? And and there I will give credit to Biden. He did something very sleazy in the the last debate between the two of them. They're in the midst of this argument about Medicare for all. And Biden says, come on, Medicare for all. Who cares? Medicare for all isn't saving the Italians. And Sanders didn't reply. He didn't make the obvious reply that at least in Italy, you can get tested for COVID-19. In the United States, you can't even get tested. And if you could get tested, you think twice about going to the doctor because you're afraid you can't pay for it or you don't have insurance. Bernie was not always that adroit. And uh, it's possible in a head-to-head debate with Trump, he wouldn't have done as well as I think he would have done. Uh, Remember, Trump said he would debate Bernie back in uh, 2016. Bernie accepted, and then Trump backed out. So, so maybe Trump knew. Maybe Trump knew that Sanders had something on him. Brooklyn had something on Queens. Yeah. Well, Rick, I think we better end it there. But stay safe in New York, and speak to you soon. I hope. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Americano, and I'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback, positive comments or constructive comments only, please, to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite.